Okay, we are going to do a two-part series starting today, and we will get back to the, um, to the, uh, the Ecclesiastes series after the two-part series. But to start things off, we're going to do a series called Lord, Fill Me Up. And we're going to talk this week and next week about the four major heart battlefields, areas where we need to invite God to be the one to fill us up and fuel us. Now, this comes from, in your bulletin, and we'll put this online for everyone who is joining uh, online, we'll make these resources available online as well. But each year, we invite you to, to, to write some goals, and the goals apply to our mind, our body, our heart, and our soul. This is what we would call a wellness plan. And uh, if last year was a great year for you, the chances are that you had a plan. And if last year wasn't a great year for you, you probably didn't have a plan. Um, and I know a lot of people are down on New Year's resolutions. Well, that's the point anyway. They're only going to last a week, and they're just already, like, pouring water on everyone else's fire. I'm a huge fan of New Year's resolutions. I think that it is a, it is a noble thing to say, Lord, I want to press on this year. I want this to be my finest year of growth and health and wellness yet. I think that is a noble desire. And to give up before you've even begun is a mistake. So what we do is we write out goals for the mind, the heart, the body, and the soul. And there's some examples for the mind. You know, how will you sharpen and cleanse your mind? Uh, what are your goals for your body? Uh, how will you develop a healthy, strong, active lifestyle? What commitments will you make? Who else will you involve? And then how will you establish and maintain healthy relationships? Who needs your support? That's the heart. Who needs, what needs to be forgiven or forgotten? And then for your soul, what season of faith are you in? Um, and spiritually, do you have, you know, a Bible reading plan, a giving plan? Uh, what commitments are you making? Um, the sermon series this week and next week targets the heart. So we're going to look at the four big areas in our heart that we have to invite God to make us healthy and well starting off the year. Um, and so, Lord, fill me up. Part one is called Fueled by Patience and Peace. We'll have several verses, but they'll all be projected on the screen, so you don't have to worry about racing around your Bible. But if um, you've gone through any training in our church, you've heard of the four main heart areas. And so we're going to focus on two this week and two next week. If you allow God to fuel you in these areas, to empty you of sin and to fill you up with righteousness, your heart is going to be really healthy and strong this year. If you don't get these areas under control, under the Lord's sovereign care, it's going to be a rough year for you. So um, the first area that we're going to talk about today is, is anger. And you can jot this down. Number one, Lord, fill me with patience, not anger. Fill me with patience, not anger. I don't know if you have noticed this, but people are really, really, really angry right now about a lot of things. There are Every week, new videos of people exploding on airplanes, exploding in grocery stores, exploding in traffic, getting out of their car. Why? Well, they're mad. They're mad about COVID. They're mad about masks. They're mad about politics. They're mad about the crime rate. They're mad about the gas prices. They're mad. But sometimes it's the smallest thing that sets off our anger. And um, it's not just out there. The battle with anger is in our hearts. So every year, my doctor, of course, gives me the sheet to go and get the routine blood work done, right? So I put it off, and then I finally went, last day of the year, I'm like, all right, well, I gotta finally go and get this done. So I went to high tech, and I'm sitting in there, big mistake, never go and get blood work done the last day of the year, because a lot of other people are procrastinators too. So I walk in, I don't have an appointment, and I'm filling, and I'm blah, 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 I check in, and I sit down. 
And then there's a line. It says 20-minute wait, but somebody sitting next to me said, I've been here a full hour. And I'm like, great, great. Well, we're all sitting there minding our own business. And then this woman walks in, and she has a lot to say. She's already not happy. How long is this going to take? I can't believe this line is so long. And she's just going on and on and on because she is not happy. And she goes over to check in, and she puts in that she has an appointment. She goes, wait a minute. How many of you here have an appointment? And everyone's just kind of ignoring her, like, do you work here? She wants now to know who has an appointment and who doesn't because she expects to get in before everyone else. And so she just keeps talking and talking and complaining. And I can't believe this way this place is working. This is taking forever and she's not happy. And it's stressing everyone else out. Well, I didn't have an appointment and so I wasn't going to tell her what I was, you know, planning there. And I got in before her, and I kind of watched my back. Like, is she coming to get me? And then I got out of there right quick. She was very angry. And that's just one example, one place. I, you know, I, I was at a cell phone company because we had to get our plan switched over for our kids. And a guy walks in, and he's not going to wear a mask. And so he starts a big fight with everyone behind. I'm not putting my mask on. Sir, you got to put your mask on. I'm not putting my mask on. Finally, they had to make him leave. Big blow up. And you've probably seen these things as well. People are angry. I've gotten more angry emails as a pastor last year than any other year before. And not just a little angry, five paragraph angry. Not always necessarily at me, but it could be a church policy or it could be what's going on in the world or it could be a way a person was treated or whatever, but I've gotten more over the last 12 months than ever before. Such a short trigger, a short fuse, quick trigger people have. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? Better question, are you feeling it? Are you feeling the temptation to let anger loose in your heart? Disney came out with a movie called Inside Out, and uh, there were several, how many of you have seen that movie, Inside Out? So check it out. Here's, they introduced the emotions, and here's the emotion that we're talking about today. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? We'll get to know your emotions. When things go wrong, anger is there. This is anger. He will make sure the world knows anger is in control. But what you really need to watch out for is when he's out of control. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out. <laughs> I'm sure you can relate. Anger. The Bible is full of angry people that give us examples of what not to do. Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul, literally hurled spears at people when he was mad. David, many times, now maybe you've got a boss and you can't stand him or her. I, I'm guessing they haven't literally thrown a spear at you, right? Uh, if they have, you really need to quit, okay? Maybe that's what you came to church to hear today. But look, it literally Saul was throwing spears at people and David had to jump out of the way. That's an angry, fuming person. Um, Saul in the New Testament who became the Apostle Paul. House to house he was going, destroying the church in a blind rage and Jesus finally got a hold of him. Moses, generally a calm person, had his moments he literally struck the rock because he became so angry with the people of God and it cost him dearly. He was not allowed to get into the promised land. And it's become a phrase uh, that everyone knows, don't strike the rock because of what Moses did. 
James and John were uh, in the inner circle with Jesus, and they were nicknamed Sons of Thunder, and they were going through a town, and people weren't being nice to Jesus, and, and one of them said, Lord, should we call down thunder and lightning on these people right now? Getting all full of themselves, and Jesus turned around and rebuked them sharply. I don't know where you're at with anger, but ask yourself this, are you winning the battle with anger? Are you losing the battle with anger? Have you lost the battle completely? Where are you right now? What's your starting point this year? Well, when it comes to um, Scripture, there are a few principles that we can pull out of the Bible on inviting God to take control of this area of our life. You can jot this down. This is a sub-point. It's not in your bulletin, so you actually have to write out the whole point, meaning all three words. You'll probably get a hand cramp today because the sub-points, you got to, but you'll be okay. So jot this down. Humility, not pride. Lord, fill me with patience, not anger. And what that means is this. Fuel me with humility, not pride. We find in Scripture that anger often grows out of pride. A sense of entitlement. I had an expectation that was not met. I had a certain standard of how I'm to be treated, and that wasn't met. And so there's, there's this pride that is the platform on which anger is built. My expectation, then when it's not met, then comes the anger because of the way that I'm being treated or not being treated. Um, the Bible shares many different forms of pride. Some of them are very obvious, like haughtiness, somebody who just walks around feeling like they own the world. But there are many other forms of pride that are, are much more internal and, and har harder to detect. So there are people who are very privately, internally, introvertedly proud and have very uh, high expectations for how people treat them. They may even have longer fuses, but in either case, pride is a platform on which anger um, is built. And when it comes to humility, we have to make sure that we commit to handling anger in a humble way, regardless of the offense. Maybe you have a short fuse and you, you lose it pretty quickly, and you have to humbly admit that. You have to humbly admit, I really lose it quickly. I, I just I've struggled with anger. It's always happened. Telling the truth about your struggle is a humble thing to do. Denying it is a very proud thing to do. Well, if all these morons around me would get their act together, if you're that haughty, then maybe your starting point is to just humbly say, hey, I've got an anger issue. But maybe it's more of a long, you have a longer fuse and it simmers for a long time, but then when it comes, it comes. Uh, there was somebody recently who we were all joking and describing, you know, spousal relationships. And she was describing how her husband is very slow to get angry, but when he does get angry, it really comes out. And she just kind of smiled and said, silence to violence. And she didn't mean violence, but she meant like, it comes fast and furious uh, once it arrives. Maybe that's your brand of anger. You know, maybe it's simmering and you just kind of keep a lid on it, but then kaboom. When it comes to pride, um, if when you get angry, you have very strong feelings about other people that are awfully condescending, and you have very strong feelings about yourself uh, with great expectations, then that's pride building the platform of anger. Uh, I'm not being treated the way that I deserve to be treated, and these other people are causing this, and then the fire is going, and really pride is the fuel uh, behind that. If when you're angry, the, the, there's very strong words about that person or that company or that policy or that, 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 then that's pride fueling your anger. And especially if you feel justified 
in the way you're acting, you know, after all, he's an idiot. You know, if you're saying things like that, then it's pride that's fueling the anger. Here's why this is so important, because if you're committing to getting the anger thing under God's control, but you don't walk back up and see the fuel source, then the anger thing is not going to get under control. If you're like, Lord, I really want you to control my anger, but then when the pride, we start talking about the pride and the way you see or talk about other people, and you're like, no, 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 get away from that. I'm not going to deal with that. The principle is this. If you're protecting the fuel, then the sin is going to come back. We have to repent of the sin and what fuels the sin. Another way to think about this is if you are committed to inviting God to take a sin out of your life, it's kind of like weeds in the lawn, right? You can't just mow them, right? You can't just take off the top. You have to get down to the roots. And if you're like, oh yeah, I've got an anger issue and I want God to get that under control. Okay, but what about your pride? You're really haughty and the way you talk about people is insulting. Well, they deserve it. Okay, well, those are the roots. And if you don't uproot the weeds, then you're really just mowing the lawn of sin. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, you just, you just took a little off the top, but you didn't allow the root system to be pulled up. So this, and a lot of people don't do the work of tracing their sin back to the fuel. And fuel for sin is often very good things. Good reasons, good desires. Well, I just want to be respected. Well, I think I've done a lot of, those are good things. But if they're fueling sin, you've got to allow God to clean up the fuel also. Um, so fill me with patience, not anger. Humility, not pride. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Are you slow to anger? The Bible never forbids anger. In fact, God is angry every day. The Bible says it's sin. Your anger grows out of being made in God's image. There's a lot wrong in this world. We should be angry about it. Um, and when it comes to how we manage that anger, we can do it in the image and likeness of Christ. And one uh, requirement for anger is that we are slow to get angry. And it is also his glory to overlook an offense. That means that we are slow to get angry, and we are also willing to overlook things that could make us angry. Um, kind of like, you know, when you, if you used to play baseball or softball, the coach would be like, hey, take the first pitch. All right, so I'm not swinging at that one. Something's coming and it can make you angry and you're just going to take the pitch. I'm not going to swing at that one, right? Uh, especially if it's a bad pitch. If it's something real sloppy, you know, I'm, I'm not going to swing at that one. Uh, there was a coach in, in the league once who told Jared to take uh, two strikes before he swung. And I called him up. I'm like, that's ridiculous. My son is not taking two strikes, you know, before he swings. I don't know what your coaching philosophy is, but no. But here's the thing, the Bible tells us that we actually should be very slow to swing, right? Especially at slop. And when people are throwing you things and you're like, ah, I really want to, I really want to swing at that. You might have to be like, I'm just going to take that one. I'm not going to fall for that. When it comes to patience, it's a humble thing to overlook an offense, to be patient. So how are, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at overlooking things? Uh, not big things that are in need of immediate attention, but the things that are the day in and the day out, the complaints, right? 
And you can look all around your life at work. How are you doing it? You know what? I'm not going to get worked up about that. You know what? It's no big deal. In your home with your family, I mean, every day there are things that could be small, medium, and large problems. In the small and the medium category, how are you at being like, you know what? That's not a major thing right now. Um, in our small group, when we were closing out the year, I said, guys, look, we're going into Christmas and New Year. And look, as a father, as a husband, here's what I would say. It's time to really just be fun dad. It's time to just really be good husband. Anything that comes up, it can wait until the new year. In fact, I try not to deal with any big stuff in church or in life or anything until January 15th, if I can help it. Because everybody's loaded up with sugar and caffeine and nothing is going to go really well until we've kind of got our rhythm back. In other words, we're just going to overlook things. We're not going to lean in and cause fights and problems because it's not the time for that. So I feel like closing out the year, I did pretty well with that. But how are you doing at overlooking things that don't really need you to just jump on it, you know? If you're a parent in particular, there are always going to be things where you're like, all right, do I make this a fight? Do I not make this a fight? Do I make this a fight? Do I not make this a fight? Well, how many of those have you had today? Have you already nitpicked five things? You know, there are going to be times where you have to say, I'm just going to leave that one. And if you're an angry person, if you're especially losing the battle with anger, uh, you often feel like there's this element of like, yes, but then how are they going to see me? How are they going to treat me? If I let this go, then, then I'm going to lose the respect that I need. And actually, the truth is, the more we allow God to get this area of anger under control, the higher people will see us, the more respect they will give us. And trying to increase the amount of respect or compliance or obedience we get by doubling down on the anger, it's self-defeating. Okay, it's self-defeating. They, they might do what we're saying, but, they, but, but the trade-off is you actually just lost credibility and leverage in their heart. And here's the thing, it'll take even more of that fuel next time to get what you want. But humility, love, patience works better. Doesn't work faster, but it works better. Are you convinced of that, that humility is better than pride, that patience is better than anger? Humility, not pride. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Jot this down. Self-control, not out of control. When it comes to anger, the Bible highlights humility, but it also highlights self-control. Self-control, not out of control. So this would be specifically for when you just blow your top. And if you're a person who, when you lose it, you lose it, um, this is really for you. So you don't have to explode ever. You really don't. You don't ever have to explode again. Um, when it comes to the out-of-control form of anger, um, where you feel it and you know it, or maybe you don't, maybe you black out and later you're like, I don't even remember what I said. That really is out of line for a person of faith. Uh, Self-control requires that we never give full vent to our anger, ever. And um, the idea here is captured in uh, Proverbs 29.11. It says this, <clears throat> A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The, the full vent is very foolish, always destructive, never gets you what you want. Um, the, the full vent is really a volcanic form of anger. So check it out. Here's a picture of a volcano. And when it comes to the full vent of your anger, uh, the scorching power of what you're doing is going to singe everybody around you. So whether it's in a moment you blow up 
or, or over a period of time, the rant lasts 15 minutes, um, the, this severe sudden outburst where there's just no restraint, there's just the full vent, there's, I'm thinking it, I'm feeling it, I'm saying it, I'm shouting it, that's sin. And there are many ways to sin in anger, but when you're fully venting it, you are sinning. And there is no justification. You can't then later say, well, people have to understand, or well, this is just the way I was, or there is no excuse for the full vent of your anger. So you might have to come up with some ground rules and invite others to hold you accountable and to say, hey, look, I'm really committed to inviting God to teach me self-control in this area this year. Uh, I'm not going to blow up. And if I do, I'm going to fail fast, meaning I'm going to repent quickly and I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to confess it humbly. Are you willing to say, Lord, fill me with patience, teach me humility, teach me self-control. Lord, teach me self-control. Are you willing to, uh, to be self-aware and to have a monitoring system where you say, okay, I obviously have to find out upriver when I'm starting down this path. And then, and then when things start picking up, I have to then start saying, I'm, not, I'm getting upset. And then if I really get to the point where I'm going to blow, I've got to then, what, walk away, go and pray. Um, you can pray angry, by the way. God wants to hear it when you're hot. You know, if you're an angry person and you're not praying angry, that's part of the problem because you're not venting it to God. And because you're not venting it to, he can take it. Because you're not venting it to him, other people are going to hear it. So humility, not pride, self-control, not out of control. And then jot this down, faith, not fear. If you really want to be patient, not angry, it takes faith. Uh, when it comes to anger, fear is often a fuel for anger. You're, you're afraid you're afraid of how things are going to turn out or how people are going to treat you, if they're going to abandon you. You're afraid. You're afraid of people who are going to harm you. And so because of that fear, you know, it's a dangerous world out there and you can't trust. Because of that fear, then it, it starts to suffocate your faith. And anger can become an expression of a lack of faith. You know, God, God can't fix this or handle this or be, and therefore I've got to. And you're expressing a lack of faith. Really, we have to understand that God is bigger and better than us. He's bigger than us. He's got all the power in the world. He's better than us. He knows perfectly how to handle situations. So, so I, don't have to, I don't have to hulk up, you know, and tear my shirt off and decide that I'm going to be the one to get this, all, this thing under control. I don't have to do that because I believe that God is the one who's got it. I don't have to smash things and throw cars around because God is the one who's got it. And, and it doesn't matter if what you feel is driving you to fear is a, a toddler tantrum, right? Uh, or a reshuffling of things at work. It doesn't matter where it's happening. But if you feel afraid, then that could fuel your anger. And it's time for faith. It's time for faith when you feel afraid. In James 1, 19 to 20, there's a famous passage about anger. And it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Hey, when we're upset, God wants to make us like Christ. He wants to make us righteous. He wants to help others to become righteous. And there are usually things that need to get taken care of when you're angry. But if you blow up, then you're not going to produce the righteousness of God. So how are you doing? Are you fueled by patience? Are you willing to say, God, calm my volcanic heart this year? I mean, really cool me off. Teach me humility, teach me self-control, teach me faith, 
and fill me with patience, not anger. Well, that's the first fuel. Lord, fill me with patience, not anger. Let's look at the second one. Jot this down. Lord, fill me with peace, not anxiety. Fill me with peace, not anxiety. So anger, really bad fuel to start the new year with. Anxiety, another bad one. Another bad one. And where are you in your battle with anxiety? Worry. Where are you right now in your battle with the, the fretting? People are so worried right now. Anxious and afraid about what's coming next. Trying to cope with the ever-changing circumstances of life and, and, and often can't even keep up with the things to worry about. Are you, are you an anxious person? Are you a nail-biter? Are you? I am. I am. This is my big one. Of all the four, anxiety is my big one. And are you winning the battle with anxiety? Maybe you've got your Zen thing going, and maybe you're just carefree. You know, maybe you're one of those people who's like, whatever, whatever. And, you know, troubles just kind of float off, you know, roll off your back, and, and maybe, maybe that's you, but many of us really struggle with worrying. It doesn't matter how old you are, teenagers can often be so anxious. Social media has compounded the problem of anxiety particularly relationally. Where do I stand with these people? How do I measure up? How do I look? What do I say? The posing, the posturing, the, the endless anxiety of how other people see me. In addition to grades, it can really be exhausting. If you get into college, then classes get harder, stakes get higher, you're making big life choices, huge relational choices, maybe trying to pick a life partner. <sighs> then when you're a young adult, you're laying your life out, you're on your own a lot, a lot of loneliness and isolation and a lot of things, and you're trying to direct your life and get your job situation figured out and picking your friends and tending to them and maybe trying to find a life partner and a <laughs> lot to worry about. Then if you have a family and your kids are young and they have needs and you're not sleeping and a lot to worry about. School, like me, if you're in midlife, the bills get bigger, the financial puzzles get larger with kids planning school and weddings and older kids making life choices and maybe you're later in life where you're at retirement and you're wanting to be healthy and that becomes harder each year and you're wanting to be happy and wondering what that looks like and chasing joy and you want to leave a legacy and there's the kids and the grandkids now and at every single stage, anxiety can flood your heart. There will never come a point where your list of things to worry about disappears. And so if you're going to sleep exhausted, if you're waking up with your heart racing, maybe multiple times a night, if you can't get the freight train in your mind to slow down, God wants to calm your anxious heart. He doesn't want anxiety to be that raging river that you float on every day. Lord, fill me with peace, not anxiety. But what are some of the uh, fuels, the specific areas where we can help get our worry under control. Well, jot this down. Worship, not worry. Lord, teach me to worship, not to worry. If you are worrying, you're not worshiping. If you're worshiping, that will help to calm your worries. Worrying is a self-reliance problem. You're relying on yourself. And so the greatest example of this is found in Luke 10, where Mary and Martha... Uh, show up. It says in Luke 10, 38 to 42, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Well, 
maybe you hosted for Christmas, and maybe you have the stress of that, cleaning, cooking, right, decorating, but what if Jesus was coming over? The Messiah! Uh, imagine that! Well, Martha now got worried. She had a sister called Mary, and now what happened? Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So two sisters, Martha knows the whole town's coming over. Jesus comes to town, the whole town comes over. Everyone's coming over. And Martha gets to work. And what does Mary do? What does Mary do? Mary does this. Jesus is here. And she listens to him. And Pots and pans are clanking in the back, and the counter's being wiped down, and the food is being... Clank! Clash! Crash! Clank! Crash! And Mary's just like, Jesus is trying to teach, right? Jesus has a lot to say, and Mary's just listening, and Martha is fuming mad. Now, this is a picture of when Jesus decides that it's time to talk, it's not time to cook, okay? That time would come. And what Martha was doing was not bad. It was just so out of touch with what Jesus was doing right there. Jesus is speaking and he's teaching and he's encouraging. That's how he's going to get them ready for the whole town coming over. Mary gets it. Martha doesn't. The, the worried, anxious person doesn't do this. Doesn't do Because there's no time! People are coming over! So right here, right here is the solution to anxiety. Right here. I'm going to carve out that time for me and Jesus, and I'm just going to sit in his presence. Worship. Worship. Okay, so Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him. Now Martha's going to interrupt the sermon. Lord, do you not care that my sister isn't helping me? Now she's getting sassy with God, the son. My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. The Lord answered her, and he's so gentle. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Maybe you just want to fill in your name there. Debbie, Debbie, you are anxious about many things. Roy, Roy, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. This many things. This many things is really necessary. This is what you worry about. And Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So the worry created a huge worship problem. Mary was missing the or Martha was missing the message, wouldn't sit in Jesus' presence, and Jesus corrected her gently about that. Jesus is coming to my house. Time to sit and love him. Then I'll get to work. The work will still be waiting. The worries will still be there. And if you're failing, this, this, could, this could show up in many different ways. You're not going to church because there's so much to do. You're not worshiping, right? Or you're not carving out that devotion time in the morning or even leading the family right devotion time because, because there's so much to do. Uh, racing around, worship, not worry. So jot this down. Prayer, not over-planning. If you really want God to get your worry under control, uh, Lord, teach me prayer, not over-planning. Planning is good, but over-planning to the neglect of prayer is sin. And so we have to remember that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So 
in order to get worry under control, we have to pray. And the Bible uh, couples praying with the, the losing of the anxiety. If we're praying, then we're losing the anxiety. If we're not praying, the anxiety will stay. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, 6-7, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Are you humbling yourself under God's mighty hand, casting all of your cares upon Him? He can take them all. Um, I've, I've said this before, but worrying and anxiety is kind of like um, dogs on a leash that demand that you take them for a walk. And the more worries, the more dogs in the pack. And they, they demand that you walk them around. That's what it feels like when you're worrying. It feels like a pack of dogs are dragging you around the neighborhood and you can barely keep up, right? Then you get home and you sit down and then what do they want right away again? What do they want? Are they happy? Are they happy that you just took them for a stroll and you worried for 15 minutes? They're not happy. They want another walk. And they're going to stand at the door and beg. And if you pick up those leashes again, you keep walking, you're going to exhaust yourself. That's what worrying is like. You walking them to try and get them to calm down, but they never will. That's why you have to give the leash over, right? They won't exhaust God. Your cares won't exhaust him ever. He's got a lot more endurance than them. He'd be happy to take them off of your hands. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So, Self-reliance is really a sin. Trusting God is the way to clear up those anxieties. So do you have a prayer plan for this year yet? There are many ways you can do that. You can pray, you can pray a journal. I do that. You can just open a journal and put the date down and write out your prayers. We uh, send out prayer calendars. We'll get one of those going soon. Just the 30 days of prayer. Can you prioritize that and say, I'm going to check through the list and pray for my church? The Valley of Vision is a book many of you own. If not, I'd order it. Puritan Prayers. Maybe you can't find the words. They did it for you. Really godly people wrote out really awesome prayers. And when you pray it, you're like, wow, this sounds fantastic. I didn't even have to write it. Um, and imagine, you know, if you came to church every week and you just had to make up all of your own worship songs, they wouldn't be too great. So why not let people who are gifted in that area write out some prayers for you so that you can pray them, and that will help you to express your heart to God. So have a prayer plan, and if you're over planning, if you're trusting that Excel spreadsheet, if your doing is the thing that is going to get you where you want to go, hey, maybe it's time to pray. Lord, fill me with peace, not anxiety, worship, not worry, prayer, not over planning, and jot this down, steady, not frantic. Pace is a big deal in the Bible when it comes to worry. We have to be steady, not frantic. This now focuses on the future. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. It's kind of a funny thought, is if the birds had to become farmers, right? Where's that bird going with that bag of seed it just picked up from the garden center? Oh, it's got to plant its own food. They don't work. They neither sow nor reap. 
nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. It's a lot of birds in the whole world. Imagine if you were in charge of just feeding one state worth of birds for a day. All the birds in Illinois, your job, go ahead and do it. God does it. Are you not of more value than they? So this is an argument of lesser to greater. God feeds the birds. Don't you think he can take care of you? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That's humbling. In essence, the Bible is saying here that after all of your worries and your cares, you haven't even extended your life by one hour because that's God's job, not yours. That's how effective your worrying is. It just doesn't work. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. It's another funny thought is the lilies of the field having to like dye their own clothing. Like up they come with a spindle and they're just like, you know, they got the sewing machine going and the dyeing and then they're laying out there and then they finally paint themselves and boy, how pretty do they look, right? It's kind of like a little Disney movie here. All these things are working and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the sting. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. If we're worrying, it's because we have little faith. In other words, we're saying God can't, and then we're letting the dogs get out of control. God can't, so therefore I have to. It's really pride. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. And here's the good news. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When you go into God's presence and you tell him all the things you're worried about, he knows, and he cares. What did Martha say? Do you not care? No, he does. There's really a lie about God baked into the cake of anxiety. God doesn't care, and he won't help. False, false. False, false. So we have to clear up the lies first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what Mary was doing. First on the floor at Jesus' feet. That's where it all starts. It's where all my worries belong, and I'm going to pick them all up, put them at his feet, and leave them there. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Hey, maybe for you, your peace is being stolen away by the future. Well, what's going to happen next? Well, where are my kids going to go next? Well, what phone call am I going to get next? What is the doctor going to tell me next? Maybe the future is the, is the generator of your anxiety. And uh, God is big enough to handle all of that. He knows, he cares, he'll help. You don't have to have crippling anxiety. And it's not working. It's not working. It, the Bible is really gentle here. It says who can add to his life by anxiety. But let's face it, it's probably subtracting from your life. All the stress, you're, you're probably, you know, taking grains of sand out of that hourglass with all of the stress and the fretting and the worrying and the anxiety and all that, right? So we have to be able to slow down, calm down, and ask God, fill me with peace, not anxiety. Okay, so here we go in the beginning of 2022. Are you willing to say, Lord, fill me with patience, not anger? Are you willing to properly assess where your starting point is? Are you winning the battle with anger? 
Are you losing it? Have you lost it? And are you willing to tell other people in your small group or even in your family, hey, I'm asking God to really make this a year where he fills me with patience, not anger. Or when it comes to anxiety, how are you doing with that? Are you winning the battle with worry? Are you losing it? Or have you really lost it? And are you willing to humble yourself and to say, I'm going to worship. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to begin with devotion and prayer, not over planning. I'm going to pray. Commit it all to God. And are you willing to commit to being steady, not frantic? You know what? I'm not going to get all worked up about the future. Each day, I'm going to seek first. Not last. I'm going to seek first his kingdom. Each week, I'm going to be at church. It's my rhythm, right? I'm not going to miss. And God's going to help me slow down, and God's going to help me calm down. And he, the Prince of Peace, such a beautiful verse in the New Testament, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Christ on the throne with his scepter is going to rule my heart, and I won't let anger, and I won't let worry command my emotions. Are you willing to commit to that? If you do that with resolve, God's going to fuel you with the right things this year. Well, hey, let's start off the year right by asking God to move in these areas in our heart together. Let's pray. Lord, these are two big battlefields, and so we bring them to you. I pray, Lord, that today everyone would, would really understand the spirit of this message. This isn't a, a guilty, condemning challenge to try harder. It's, it's to surrender to you. And we surrender our anger to you. We can't get it under control without you. Whatever it's fueled by, whether it's fear or pride or lack of self-control, Father, we just surrender our anger to you. We admit the truth. This is a battle. And Lord, maybe people feel like they're, they're winning in this area, and may you then preserve the high ground. Maybe they feel like they're losing. May you pull them back from the ledge. And Lord, maybe they feel like they lost. They, go, they went over the cliff, and they're now bloody and beaten and broken on the ground. Well, pick them back up. Pick them back up, forgive them, and help them, Lord, to find your transforming grace in this area. Lord, when it comes to worrying, forgive our exasperation. It's so faithless, it's so doubtful to not think that the God who framed out the universe, who's the architect of creation, knows our problems better than we do. Lord, it's so foolish to think that we're the ones who can, who can plan everything out perfectly for our family and for our career and for our finances and for our health. Uh, Lord, forgive us. We're so foolish. We lack such faith. There is only one thing that is required. And Jesus, you are the all in all. Help us to still our fears in your presence, to just sit down patiently to trust you. And I pray that you would meet us there as we cast all of our anxieties on you. Care for us. And Lord, we pray that this would be a year of patience, that, that this would be a year of peace. Fill us with patience. Fill us with peace because you are present powerfully within us. You are our hope, and we invite you to do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.